Welcome back to the COG Weekly Podcast, Season 4, Episode 2. Yes, we are so happy to be back. We're really excited to be bringing you guys all of Season 4, but especially this episode where we have on Alessandro Devite, who is a match analyst for AS Roma over in Italy. He works closely with Jose Mourinho and has worked with other managers such as Antonio Conte and, and many other people who he, he will talk about and he will explain better than I can in the beginning of this podcast. But make sure you stay tuned to hear his messages and stories and just overall info about his job and what he does, because I know for me and Mac, it was super, super interesting. But before we get into that, we have to go through the Hassani of the week for season four, episode two. So without further ado, let's bring up the three nominations. We shall. Starting, let's start on the right today. I think we, we, should? we should mix it okay. up and start on the right. Okay. So we're starting with Emmanuel Reynoso, a Minnesota United player who is just absolutely fantastic, but I'm going to let you take this one. Well, yes, you know, he's a fantastic player, as you said, and uh, even though we both, uh, it was in the game we predicted, which we'll, we'll get to in a little bit, but he did score a brace in the first half. The first goal was absolutely incredible, left-footed curler, must have been like 30 yards out, uh, incredible, and then another one um, to just get more comfortable in the game with our lead against the LA Galaxy. It finished 3-2, uh, but he was the difference in the first half. Just an incredible brace, incredible performance. Hopefully we see more from him. Oh, most definitely. Uh, more type of those performances in the future. I'd be very interested in some Reynoso braces I would throughout hope, the season. I would so. <laughs> yes. And secondly, following in the yeah. middle, we have Jesus Ferreira, a player who has featured with the USMNT a little bit, so the public might be familiar with him, but he's also been in good form for FC Dallas. Only him and Landon Donovan have ever scored four goals in one game for oh, really? the USMNT, yeah. Uh, but he scored a incredible free kick goal versus LAFC. It was more of like a chip, and it was pretty far out but it went bar down and the goalie you know came out because he was expecting a cross uh from him but it went over his head and went hit the bar before going into the net it was an incredible goal you know you wonder if that's what he was going for <laughs> no definitely just yeah. in his mind yeah. right then bar down right yeah now. he go. was definitely just like i'm gonna just loft it like I'm he didn't even to... shoot it no really. yeah he so. was like i'm going to catch him off guard and absolutely obliterate the net here with yeah bar down. exactly and that's what it did <laughs> it, it, it was incredible <laughs> net obliterated. yes 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 uh the final player is brenner souza da silva a brazilian in the mls who plays for fc cincinnati as you can see on the badge on his shirt who had a hat trick in a 4-4 draw versus new york city fc first off that sentence alone speaks fantastic yeah. performance. <laughs> wow <laughs> i mean incredible hat trick yeah. in a 4-4 draw it's not something you see very often especially considering it was a 4-4 draw and not like a 4-0 win, exactly. which we see more frequently in the Premier League mm -hmm. with the teams like Man City and whatnot. But it was a great game to watch, and he had three fantastic goals, including a bicycle kick, a breakaway goal, which was, you know, just standard, and then a really good long shot, which went low into the bottom right corner. So fantastic performance from Brenner, who is really showing his stuff at the moment in the MLS. And I think that, in my opinion... Brenner gets the Hassani of the week from me for this week just because he had the three goals, you know, more than Ferreira or Reynoso had. And also the quality of his goals were really good in a very tight, very close and tense match. I'd have to agree. I mean, a hat trick, you know, always will beat out, especially Ferreira's one goal. And then 
obviously Reynoso. They did win that game, but it was but tight. Like it, it was tight. Tighter than I wanted. Quality of goals, maybe Reynoso had the best out of the bunch this week, but for for a singular for one goal. goal, and the other one was not as great. But then for Brenner, he had three very well taken goals. So I'd have to agree with you. I think he is he is a suitable Hassani of the week. Most definitely. Uh, and I we've highlighted Reynoso before on in the podcast have, yes. on the channel. So yeah. it's good to spread the love. It is. It it, is. It's really nice. So congratulations yeah. to Brenner. We are not bringing the Hassani screen up again, obviously because we don't have enough data to fill it out. But what are you thinking for his rating? I'm thinking higher than Quinn Sullivan. Quinn Sullivan's <laughs> was a bit low. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure now. I think. Uh, you know, definitely maybe what was what was Sterling's from last Sterling year? Sterling was I think a seven. A seven. Seven flat. Maybe a seven five. I, I think. think it was a seven five. I'm gonna actually gonna go with a a seven one. Seven one. Um, I was Brenner. gonna I, I was gonna go seven five myself. Really? The okay. math there is gonna be tough. What are, what are we adding? Yeah, you might have to pull out the the calculator. It's not something though. I want to be doing right now. You know, I think like you said. Uh, Quinn Sullivan had a hat trick. Seven three. Why did that take me so long to do? Yeah, <laughs> that's not very fun. <laughs> Just average one to five. I think that's fair though. Yeah, seven point you know, three. Well, there it is. The performance. Congratulations, yeah. Brenner Souza da Silva, the Brazilian player for FC Cincinnati, on getting a seven point three and winning the Hassani of the week for season four, episode two. Now we have to move on to predictions, which we do every episode as well. If you're new here. So with the prediction screen up, we have three games like wow, those. <laughs> absolutely fantastic yeah, yeah. games. We've got some MLS, some club friendlies, and then some Copa Libertadores uh, or Conmebol Libertadores, yep. should I say, um, to to do. But first, we have to look at last week's record. It's, do we have to look? It's not great. It, <laughs> I don't even know if we should tell. We should have gotten something to cover it up. Yeah, maybe. Maybe uh, just like forgotten about last week. This is episode one. I mean, for you, it's kind of normal um, form. I'd say. You know, oh three. wow, the shots yeah, are coming yeah, out. I mean, wow. I'm, you know, I'm not used to the 0 and three. Uh, it is true that you went 0 and three and are still positive, which is insane. <laughs> That's outrageous. It is, it is crazy. It's not a great start to uh, no. to season four for either of us. What'd you get last time? Two and one. Um, when last season? Yeah. I think your last episode. I think I did finish. Season, yeah, two, two and one. one. So, yeah, not great. No. Um, yeah. but. Yeah, we did go 0 for 3, but hopefully we'll maybe not. I think we're looking to not do that um, for the, oh, this round. But the first matchup is uh, El Trafico, LAFC versus LA Galaxy. You'd have to think the likes of Gareth Bale, the likes of Chiellini will maybe be playing in this match, which maybe that sways your decision or it, not. It, I think... it would have to sway it a little bit. And yeah. Fabrizio and all of the other sources said that El Trafico would be the first game they could play in, similar to El Clasico. You know, Gareth yep. Bale really knows those ends pretty he well. Know, he knows the, the rhyme. <laughs> he knows it really well. Yeah. He knows how, how intense it's going to be. Yeah. But it'll be a good game. Gareth Bale, Chicharito, Carlos Vea, Giorgio Chiellini. It'll be a good game, assuming all of them and the newcomers yeah. are, are involved. So, do you want to go first on this one? I'll go first. I'm going to go with an LAFC win. Uh, if you lose to Minnesota... I was going to say, off the back of that, yeah, performance against United. And LAFC are, I believe, maybe first in the West, or at least top three for sure, and they're just they're just adding better and better players. They're playing better. Um, I don't see them losing at home like this in a big game. I see it being... 
somewhat one-sided maybe to LAFC. Most, most definitely. Yeah, yeah I'm noticing I'm saying most definitely a lot right Most now. definitely? No, uh, dude, I was watching the last podcast. Or no, actually, it's it's in this podcast that people are going to be watching. Oh, out. really? Oh, dude, yeah, yeah. I say it like, yeah. like 100 times, so... You should but count. You know I'm sincere. When viewers I say at it. home, you should. Yeah, you, you count, how many, count how many times I say times. most definitely yeah. throughout the whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with an LFC win as well. I think that it's it's a game where the the firepower that they're gonna have in this game, it's almost impossible for me to think they would lose, especially like you said, off the back of performance where they lost to Minnesota United. They, United almost bottled it. To be fair, yeah, went, went a man down, or LA Galaxy went a man down, yep. and we still nearly bottled it. Somehow. But I do think LFC is going to get the win here. Apologies to any Galaxy fans. Another apology that I have to make, I, I'm just going to skip all the way down to the bottom because oh, it yeah? works with this apology. Another okay. apology I have to make is to any Brazilians who watch our podcast <laughs> for not knowing that Corinthians was a Brazilian team yeah. in this episode. <laughs> so we are doing a prediction of Corinthians Boca Juniors again because the second leg is happening this week in the Carnival. It was 0 0. First leg was 0 0. I'll go first on this one. Yeah. I think it's a Corinthians win. Even though it is away at wow. Boca Juniors, at that historic band, wow. I'm going with the Corinthians win. I have to support my fellow Brazilians that watch the podcast and listen to the podcast for making that mistake last time. I'm going to go with a Boca Juniors win myself. Uh, like you said, at home, I think the atmosphere is going to be crazy. And I don't I don't think uh, Corinthians are going to react to it very well. And I think Boca Juniors are going to take advantage of that. And get the win here. But lastly, we have a club friendly. It, probably one of the, the most, most prestigious <laughs> games you're ever going to watch. Probably the most <laughs> unlikely club, club friendly ever. It is uh, Hull City. Future Champions League final. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you'd have to think, you know, the way things are going. Um, but yeah, Fernabache and Hull City. Dude, what, what are I, you thinking about? No, that's what one? I was expecting. When you yeah. said that, I was like, yeah, Fernabache, Hull City. It's always still playing. Yeah. There's a chance. I, I, Ozil versus Hull. We've seen it before. We've We're going to see it again. <laughs> We've seen it before. What do you think? What do you think? Um, I'm going with the Hull win. They're in the championship. Oh. They've got solid firepower. Okay. They produce okay. the likes of Jared Bowen. Harry and, Maguire. Harry, Andy Harry Robertson. Harry Mags. <laughs> Andy so, Robertson. No, I, think, I think it's happening. I think it's a future Champions League final, and I think the the, the most recent game that they're going to have since the Champions League final in 2030 is going to be this game to look at to, and to sort of predict it. Yeah. And they're going to be like, oh, Hull win this game. So Hull will okay. win the Champions League final. So I'm saying Hull is winning this game. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the draw. Okay. You know, I, I don't expect a, such a tense game to end in a draw. <laughs> Club friendly, you know, both teams, you know, maybe rotating their players a lot. I think it's going to be a 4-4. Wow, four, four, we're gonna get another Hassani. We're gonna we're gonna get another Brenner Souza da Silva yep. showing up in this game. Exactly, I think so. <laughs> well, yeah. perfect. There yeah. it is. There's our predictions done. Hassani done. Intro done. I hope you guys enjoyed the rest of this podcast as we interview Alessandro Davite, and it's fabulous. So stay tuned. All right, we are now to our second interview. We're super excited to be continuing the interviews in season four. We now have Alessandro Davite with us. Hello, how are you doing, Alessandro? Hi, guys. Nice to be with you here. Yes, yes. we're super excited for this interview. It's going to be super interesting. If you guys don't know from the title of this episode or from the description or anything that we've posted, Alessandro is a tactical analysis analyst. He does tactical analysis and works with different clubs. Um, 
around Italy, and it's an incredibly cool job. We have a lot of questions to ask him, and we're really looking forward to the interview. But before we get into your job that you do now, we want to start at the beginning with how you got into football and how you got into if you played or if you if you liked watching a certain team when you were younger or anything uh, of that sort. So obviously you're in Italy, which is a much more football-dominant country than the United States, <laughs> so it's probably more common that you would get into football. But what is your journey getting into football? Did you have a great mentor or did you love a team or, or what was it? Yeah, well, guys, uh, it's I mean, <laughs> it's pretty complicated because the match analyst, let's say, uh, because the role is called in, diff in several ways, but let's say match analyst. In Italy, uh, it didn't exist uh, like 10 years ago. Really? So, so my journey has started to actually being a coach. I always wanted to be that. Okay. At the age of 16, I was playing football, but I was already thinking in coaching. So the thing was, um, I want to study as a coach, but... I want to, to have also the opportunity to, you know, work for great teams, to learn more about the game. And in that case, that seemed the, the best thing to do, actually studying the game. So in, in England, in Premier League, uh, especially, there, there are top clubs that already had departments doing that. And then to Italy in the last five, six years now, uh, every club, let's say, has now their own department that doing that is doing analysis. But before ten years ago, it was, uh, yeah, a jungle. It it didn't exist. It was such strange. Many many roles, but there wasn't the the match analyst. Uh, let's say. Yeah, and uh, so we saw you have a UEFA B license, right, as a coach. Uh, and then yeah. was that maybe. Is that necessary for what you do now for your job? Or was that more when you had that path thinking, I want to be a coach, a manager, um, but not necessarily a, mat a match analyst uh, at first? What was that kind of training like? I mean, um, right now, everybody, let's say, is asking for that license. So okay. Okay. it's something like mandatory, even if it's yeah. not, but everybody's asking for it. But I would say for the specific skills, you wouldn't need that. It's okay. just, it's just you know the look you have as a as a coach. If you think you're gonna be a coach, you study as a coach. You don't need the, to to go on courses, but of course they help. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. We also see. I just took a look at your Facebook and saw the UEFA B license, and also that you graduated in sports science from the University of Milan. Um, so you said that the UEFA B license, although is not necessary to maybe do your job is necessary on your resume. Was, was it yeah. the same thing with the degree from the University of Milan or did that sports science degree actually help you a lot in your journey to become a better sports analyst? Exactly. I mean, guys, uh, the thing was that I wanted to be someone in football. So I said to myself, what do I have to do? And the thing was creating my own background. Yeah. So I, I started doing that kind of university because I knew it would bring me the basics for that. Yeah. But even, even now, it's not mandatory to have that kind of degree. And actually, I would say um, IT skills are more important right now. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely. And so you get those, um, you get that education and then the license. 
Um, what is the sort of job search like going then looking for clubs that will take you on as a match analyst? Uh, are they looking for people with experience um, at professional clubs already? Or how hard was it to then, you know, get a job at these at these big clubs that you are working at now? Well, uh, at the very beginning, uh, I had to, let's say, figure out a way. So uh, I even created my own videos. I was studying uh, the matches of, you know, top teams and around the world. Yeah. And then I was going to the clubs or going to the managers to create that sort of relationship and just uh, bring to them my material. So they would uh, uh, assess my, my work. So, so that was the thing. Um, but I mean, uh, like in the academy, they, they, let's say they ask for someone with less experience. So it can be the start of a journey. Yeah. And when you go to first team, uh, yeah, you need to have experience. In yeah. Italy here, they are, they are really uh, strict about the, the journey you have. So, yeah, I, I would say that to be in a first team, first you have to have a journey in the academy or having done something before. For so sure. you were doing... Yeah. Uh, match analysis for the academy of different clubs throughout Italy and for those academy teams to try and help them win games before you were able to progress on to the first team or higher division clubs and, and work for the likes of the teams that you work for now? Um, I started, uh, I mean, it was, uh, let's say, a good move to go to Milan University mm -hmm. yeah, be because they had a strong relationship with Milan Academy, AC Milan. Okay. Okay. So I started from that uh, with a scholarship, let's say. Uh, it was a stage, we, we call it in Italy. And for the whole year, we were filming, uh, assessing, uh, evaluating. So that was the first part. And then also when I was into studying or coaching when I was younger, I started to help managers in my hometown. So all of that... Uh, helped me a lot but then to progress you need to of course be at the higher level because the the, the best is there no right yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but at the very first uh, i would say to everybody that wants to start a journey like that just uh, let's try everything you have in mind be be confident uh, learn ask uh, i mean that's the only thing you can do in my opinion just uh, put yourself with everything you have and, you know, go for it. That's the thing, in my yeah. opinion. And so you started at AC Milan uh, when you are in university. And then how, what was your journey like then uh, going from AC Milan then to Inter Milan, right? Yeah. Um, after that, how you was that? You crossed paths. Yeah, you caught the rivalry. You caught, uh, actually, how did that actually, happen? Yeah, actually, guys, I need to tell you, um, I am a Nerazzurro fan. I support Inter, I mean, yeah. so it was magical for me because... At so the you probably want end, me to cover up this jersey back here. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> come, on. come on, Pirlo, Pirlo is the maestro, you know? Yeah, yeah he yes, is the maestro. Yes, yes. The maestro. No, Pirlo is amazing. Also, he, he was playing for Inter and then there was uh, a switch with another player. I mean, Pirlo was unbelievable. So, no, come on. 
yeah. I, I love players of that kind. You, you can you can say anything you know, <laughs> from that. Yeah. So yeah. in our past interviews, specifically the one we talked to Cody, who you know uh, about, he talked a lot about his journey and how he was knocking on doors and, and asking questions and just trying to build his network slowly as he switched and went to different clubs around Italy and the United Kingdom, Wales, and then also in America or in Canada, should I say. And so he really emphasized how important it is to be always curious and, you know, like I said before, knocking on doors. And I feel like you're sort of saying the same thing in a different profession, although it's in the same field of work in football, him being a footballer and you're, you being a match analyst, you're both kind of saying that it's necessary that you slowly build your resume and get to know different people, help different managers out, as you were saying, with their with their different game plans when you're younger, and then use everything that you have in a resume and network to try and go and find bigger teams. It's almost essential in order to get to that next step. Is that right in how I'm hearing it? Totally agree. I mean, uh, I wasn't talking to Cody about that, but it's fundamental. Yeah. All of that you said, for me, is the most important thing you can do. Nice. It's, it's a skill that you must have as a professional in every business or sector of life, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. And how old were you when you began working with AC Milan and then also when you made your switch to Inter Milan? Okay, AC Milan, I was there in, 2000, in 2014. So 2014, I was 25. Okay, and then when did you make your switch to Inter? And to Inter, it was two years later. I started in... 2017. Okay. And did you no, work so for three the... three years, three years later. Three years later. Nice. Okay. Nice, nice. And did you work for the first team at either Inter or AC Milan? We know you obviously work with the first team now at uh, Roma, but did you work for the first team at either of those clubs or were you primarily stationed with the academy and trying to help them with their match analysis? Well, um, that is another, let's say, um, topic. In my opinion, there is people who want to work with the, uh, the academy because they prefer to see the player, you know, growing up. Yep. You prefer to help them in their growth as a player, as a man. And that is very important, I, I, I think. And also, these kind of uh, guys should be recognized more from the clubs itself. But I am the kind of guy that likes tactics a lot. So I much more prefer to work with first team because I like that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I like that feeling. So with the academy, I really believe you need to think in a different way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I see a lot in Italy, maybe also around the world, I'm pretty sure. Um, lots of coaches or guys working around the coach that wants to uh, train the, the academy guys under 15, 16 or whatever as first team players, but they are not. That is not the thing. It's a completely different profession. So mm -hmm. did you, uh, so for those who like aren't as familiar, as you said, the match analysts don't get as much of the praise as they may should. Um, do you want to walk us through a usual week during club season? from like day to day, what your, what your job is leading up to a, a Saturday or Sunday kickoff? Yeah. Um, actually now, uh, much has changed. I mean, 
uh, when you work with uh, teams, top teams like Inter or Roma, for example, the thing is that you never play uh, one game and then seven days and another game. Yes, so yes. Now it's always three matches per week, completely different preparation of the game. Yeah. Um, so uh, I even don't remember the last time it was that way because it was five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when you have one week to prepare, it's you you can really go into details. Um, mm -hmm. And also another important thing is the structure you have, the the team of analysts you have, because you can do everything. I mean, uh, you can be one match analyst and uh, pretty much you can do everything for for your team, for your manager. Uh, but if you have a group of people, of course you can divide your your work you can go in depth into certain situations so uh, it's all about the resources you have the time you have um i would say is really uh it's really different it, it depends a lot on on many things yeah do you prefer working with a group or do you like how much work do you prefer for yourself to work on compared to with others in your team um at the moment, for example, in, in Rome, there is, uh, let's say, a, a responsible. Uh, it's, just, it's just a person who organizes the work and it's uh, the person we rely uh, on to him to speak also with the manager directly, but also it happens for us many times. But he's like our boss, let's say, you know, just to make you understand. Mm -hmm. um, and because we are four of us, we can divide the work, we can divide into set pieces, uh, offensive phase, defensive phase, so we can really uh, analyze the game in, in a good way in order to prepare for the strategy. Uh, but uh, as I said, you can also be just one and just, you, you need to do different things. You need to keep it simple and do what is more important because sometimes we forget the basics and you need to you need to go for that when you don't have time go for the basics what is really uh needy that is the thing yes 100 percent. yeah but i mean i love to work in group because you can do some stuff uh i would also work alone of course you have let's say a more direct dialogue with the with the manager so for some things it's better because there is no filtering behind but it really depends a lot it really depends a lot. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, especially now that we're on the topic of your day-to-day -day life, especially in season when you're preparing for three games a week, about how the media often, especially in documentaries, I don't know if you've seen the All or Nothing documentaries like All or Nothing Juventus, uh, but they often portray the manager as someone who is in their office staying up late until a you know, midnight every night preparing for the next game or preparing for the next big opponent that they have to face. How much of that is true and how much of that is is passed on to the team of match analysts or the team of anyone else who might be working in a different department within the club? You know, because obviously the manager has a lot of resources to use to try and get the team to work as best as they possibly can. So they might be working until like 10 o'clock, but it might not always be on tactics. So what's your view on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it happens a lot, quite a lot, but I wouldn't say that much. Okay. Uh, one time a week, 
yeah, it can happen. But also is because the, the people who is doing this job is such on details and they want to do the thing so perfectly that you don't want to miss anything out. So I would, I would say that's the main thing for sure. But also another thing is that if you can save energy, and that is very important, if you can save energy, do it. Because most of the times you are doing many stuff. And of course, it's difficult to follow the instructions of a manager sometimes because they have to think about many things. And there is a coaching staff around. So you need to be really aware of everything going on. But sometimes just save energy and do what is best, what is re really important. Yeah. Sometimes that is, uh, I think, fundamental to, to go on uh, into so many games and to be always fresh mentally to understand. Sometimes if you work too late, can also be unproductive sometimes. So it, it, it quite happens, but I wouldn't say that much. Yeah, yeah. And so you get to a match day, whether it's midweek or on the weekend. Um, for you personally, are you watching the game, analyzing it um, from the bench with the players and the staff? Are you um, in a suite, like higher above in the stands? Are you at home? Where, where are you watching the games from and then analyzing them? Uh, allora, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I turned into Italian for, for a moment. <laughs> Any of our Italian <laughs> listeners would have understood that. Yeah. Okay, sorry, guys. You're, all good. You're no. good. Anyway, um, yeah, with our team, we are having two analysts on top uh, mm -hmm. in the stands who are filming the game and reporting directly through the AirPods to another guy who stays in the bench. Because... Okay. Uh, this is the third year, third season, who you can actually talk directly to the bench. Yeah. Before, it wasn't allowed. All right. And I would like everyone to know, just in case they didn't, right now he is working with Roma. I didn't specify that before. So when he's talking about uh, what he's doing right now with his current team, that is with Roma. If you don't know, they won the Europa Conference League this year. And I'm sure you were a very large part of that <laughs> being able to happen. So congratulations. A small, but, uh, a small but important. Small but important. <laughs> the importance what matters. You were yeah. very important to, yeah, to yeah. helping that team succeed. But yeah, for anyone wondering, that's the team that he is working for currently. Uh, but yeah, back to what we were saying before. Yeah, so are you one of or do you switch around are you sometimes up top in the stands or sometimes on the bench how, how is that decided let's say that uh, as i was saying before we have our responsible who has worked for example in this case of roma has worked with Mourinho before mm -hmm. this same guy who has taught me a lot about the game and uh, this professional he was with Mourinho in uh, 2010 when inter won the the champions league oh, wow. so yeah, that is amazing because with Mourinho, I can say the match analysis really started in Italy. Before, mm -hmm. it wasn't really something you would do or it wasn't even understood what uh, could, in, could improve in a, in a team of work. But exactly. So uh, my responsible is down uh, in the bench, uh, speaking directly to the other guys of the staff and, uh, and the manager. And we are staying on the stands, helping him through the game, 
to see whatever is coming on, you know, tactical changes or a player is injured, you know, things like that that are really important, actually, really important. Yeah, super yes. important. Do you know when a substitution or change of formation or tactics is about to happen, generally speaking, during the game? Or is there frequent times when you're surprised and you're like, oh, we switched from a 4-3-3 to a 3-4-2-1? Yeah, I mean, that's the guys is the amazing part for me because... Uh, who loves this game, who likes uh, this kind of profession is because you want to study, prepare the game and be, you know, in advantage, in advantage to your opponent. So every time you think about strategy, uh, you know pretty much everything about what they should do or they are trying to do. But then something that, you know, never happened before can happen. And so yeah. you need to reorganize. And that's, for me, that's the best part of the job to continuously find a solution. That's, mm -hmm. that's the amazing part in football for me, in our role uh, specifically. Yeah, yeah. And so we've talked a little bit about Jose Mourinho and you working under him for the, uh, this year especially, and he's one of the greatest managers of all time, we can say. And uh, does his reputation at all affect how you do your job compared to maybe in the past uh, whether it be in the academies at AC Milan or Inter Milan, where it's a lesser-known manager, um, does that affect, you know, knowing he's this great manager, does that affect how you do your job? I know what you mean. I, um, honestly, the, um, the level of Italian's manager, even if you go in the third, third division, is very high, normally. Yeah. I would, I would say, uh, in average, they are better than... Uh, the the managers in the other countries, but because we are so focused into tactics, uh, then Mourinho, for example, for me is exceptional. Also for the tactical side and technical side, because he is a top manager. Of, we know that. Yes. But there are things that he is amazing, um, like you know, understanding a situation or uh, the feelings. He can create in the in the players the atmosphere he can bring in, and those things makes an impact huge. I I've, I think he, every manager, even in NBA or you know, uh, in American football, whatever, when you can bring that energy, when you can actually have an impact on players, you you have you know you're in a strong advantage. Yeah, most definitely. Knowing that Mourinho has often in the past played a more defensive style of football, counterattacking more specifically. Do you have to tailor your suggestions or uh, solutions to the game to that style of football? Uh, and, and with different managers, do you tailor it differently? Or do you always sort of give the same suggestion and then the manager or your boss giving it to the manager uh, decides whether to take that and use it or not? Uh, it really depends. I mean... Uh, we know exactly our role and also we know what we can suggest or not. I mean, in terms of, uh, of hierarchy, you know what I mean? So yeah. we speak to our responsible and we always do what is best for the team. And the thing is, the manager has a strong, uh, let's say, um, tactical uh, behavior and he... He really believes in what he's doing. So nobody could really say, 
you know, you should do something different because he is the manager and he is the man who passed the message to the players. So we can just try to, of course, give him the best solutions. But then it's always about the managers. Even Spalletti or Conte had really strong ideas that sometimes you can say you can do in a different way. But the, at the very end, the managers are the ones who take the decision and you need to support them. Of course, telling them what can be done better. But at the same time, you need to be strongly supportive. And that's the best thing you can do. I'm yeah. sure of that. Yeah. And, you know, some things, as you said, with uh, Mourinho, he can bring the atmosphere and the energy. Um, obviously, with your job, you're looking at formations, tactics, tendencies of players. Um, but is it harder to, you know, do you take into account when analyzing um, maybe a club has a manager like Mourinho that brings great energy and strength to his team or the atmosphere of the crowd and the fans at a certain stadium um, might affect your players more or any any other outside aspects? Is that harder for you to then um, prepare a game plan compared to maybe at home against a team, you know, just looking at tactics wise, not the atmosphere of the crowd? Uh, no, it's fundamental. Um, we know exactly when you go to a certain stadium, uh, even with lower lower clubs that you think on the table, uh, but it's going to be difficult, it's going to be tough. And that is taken into account every time because the crowd uh, is, you know, so passionate. So in some stadium, it's, it's really a factor. Mm -hmm. Like for Rome, our fans are unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I was used with Inter and I love them, of course, because uh, I am still an Inter fan. But You are a fan, I yes. <laughs> I am also professional, so I go to Rome and I need to do the best for, for my team, of course. And they, the fans of, of Roma are amazing, something that I have never seen, honestly. Uh, and they are really, um, they have a huge impact. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember on the other way, for example, uh, some players are scared by San Siro because if you go into the field and you, you know, get wrong the first, um, the first passages or, you know, uh, you do something wrong, uh, maybe they're going to scream at you, they're going to so say something. So you need to have a strong attitude. And mm -hmm. it really depends a lot. So even that, you know, football, um, the more that I go on, football is about everything. Everything can be true or, or not in the same way. It really depends on the context of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. It really depends on that. Uh, you you talked about how you've worked with other managers and how you've worked with Inter as well. You said uh, Spalletti and, and Conte and, and other people like that and how they had also very strong ideas in what they were doing tactically. Uh, but could you just run us through sort of like once you got to the first team phase, which is where you said you wanted to end up because you really liked how tactical it was and, and, and whatnot. Could you run us through sort of your career from that point until now? Uh, the managers you've worked with and obviously I, I would assume the, the different teams being Inter and Roma. Okay. Um... Before I said passages, guys, you, you need to tell me when I get wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's passes. I was yeah, thinking passes. about that right no, now. No, we got I it. I think we, everyone will we understand. understand. I we think understand. you're all good. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 
But I can't get wrong. You know, we are so into details that we can't get wrong. That's the thing, guys. That's when the you're thing, a match guys. analyst, you can't get it wrong. You can't. Even every the language. Detail, yes. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Because you need to work, you know, under pressure, always focused on what is best. So, okay. But, you know, okay. It was passes. Yes. Yes. yes we got it. <laughs> no problem at all. No, I mean, you know, I, I'm joking with you guys. It's, you know, enjoyable staying here. I'm really, yes. I'm really glad. So, it, Speaking about football is always nice. Come on. It is. Oh, Talking about football is great. That's yes. why we have our podcast. Yes. Exactly. It, it's so great. But yeah, um, just like yeah. if you could tell everyone the different managers that you've worked with, just so that all the fans can sort of get an idea of the, the different teams that you've been involved with and coaches that you've been involved under. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, I mean, uh, these are top managers. Yeah. <laughs> are among the very best uh, of the decades or the last decades even uh, because uh, all of them have a really strong uh, tactical behavior they believe in and they are they are different for example Spalletti has changed a lot through the years uh, always he liked to play a certain kind of football made by passing by taking the pitch constantly moving up the pitch controlling the ball and then bringing to the ball into the places where you are more effective on the between the lines uh, so so great on that uh, really I, I learned a lot from him from that point of view uh, Conte is more a kind of let's say direct football but that starts from the build-up from the from the goalkeeper and Danovic was fundamental with the uh, with Antonio, with Conte, um, because he helped him a lot in the in the building up phase, the the one really close to to our goal, and then has a pass line is open onto onto the attacking players like Lukaku, Lautaro, uh, keeping the ball, shielding the ball, and then moving to the other side, and that was very effective. Um, with uh, with Mourinho. The, I would say the game style is more about dynamics and is really able to make players connect to each other. So you have a system, but then also players are open, are free to find solutions. So he gives more space to, to fantasy of these players. And um, for example, in my opinion, Mikitarian uh, has been great this year, this season. Such a, a smart player that, uh, wow, amazing, wonderful. So him going away, it's uh, it's quite a loss for Roma because mm -hmm. he is a really smart guy, uh, really strong player. Most and definitely. Inter, Inter, Inter will uh, uh, will have uh, another midfielder that uh, can help him, can help them to to race for the title. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's so interesting how you said that Mourinho gives players more freedom to express themselves and find solutions on their own. And I just wanted to kind of highlight that for anyone listening, because I think it's important to realize the media, especially I'm coming from an American here, so I hear American media quite often. The media portrays Mourinho as someone who is really harsh on his players uh, judges them a lot. He's often with the media, as as we all know. He, in his press conferences, can be very brash, uh, very intense with the, the press. And so I think people paint a picture of him as a manager who is really 
sticking to the system, intense, and wants his players to do things one way and one way only, and that's his style. But I think it's important for people to realize, like you said, how open he is to people finding solutions on their own and and sort of expressing themselves on the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every manager needs to be tough in certain moments because you can't be, uh, you know... Um, I, I I can't recall the right word, but you need you need to be that way also. A manager needs to be hard sometimes with players, yeah. but he's not his style. Actually, the the opposite, as you were saying, because uh, he really helps the guys finding a solution, and he really uh, gives them the choice to to do the, what what is better for them. And I I really believe that the more the players understand this kind of connection between each other and the more the 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 game style the let's say the uh, how the the progression of of, of the match can be uh, is better for them so um yeah it's quite the opposite uh, defensively you know every manager has to be strict with rules but then i would say Mourinho offensively uh, and uh, I love him for this fact because making people interact um, among them for me is the best solution. Also to be creative, to you know, uh, to not be easy to read by the by the opposition. So I, I really think this is a thing. Yeah, yeah. And so would you say, say you are a manager of a of a, any team, what? style yeah. of play would you set your team up as obviously you've worked with all these great managers but what maybe tips or tricks or aspects would you take Formations. from them and then yeah, what I'm, how would you play your team i mean actually uh, i think there is always to learn so mm -hmm. even by any kind of manager in the world you always can learn something you need just to have that kind of mentality to see it Mm -hmm. And of course, I like uh, a kind of football that involves uh, offensive football, playing, building up from the back, many things. But um, it's it's really get down to the player. I mean, you need to understand which players you have and what you can do with them. Of course, then you have in your mind something you want to do, but also the kind of players helps you a lot through that. And I would say that you need really to understand the team before, uh, you know, trying to, to build up something for them. Mm. Before you need to understand them, to understand what is better for them, what is yeah, best for them. Most definitely. That's the thing. That's the thing. Very, but very of course, important. everybody likes attractive football. Yeah. And sometimes even transition are really attractive, you know? In, yeah. in Premier League or in the Bundesliga, they play yes. pitch to pitch, no? Yeah, uh, from crazy. one side to the other. So uh, the game is very physical as well. Um, you can do every kind of football as as long as, in my opinion, let's say it has um, a logical path with the players you have. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense, and it's it makes sense that you are a, a match analyst that thinks that way, and that many managers would think that way. I was wondering, is there a certain game or 
time when your team did exceptionally well. Maybe they won a title, maybe they won a derby, or, or just won a really important game, and you felt like you had a huge contribution to that. If, if there was, is there any way that you could share about what that game was or what that time was and what you feel like you did exceptionally well during that time? Okay. I mean, <laughs> this is time to, you know... I know you don't want to. You don't want to make yourself look so good. You want to be humble, but this is your time. This is your time to share. Time to shine. Time to shine with the whole world. I know there's one. One that you're thinking of. I know. Come on, come on, go for it. No, no, that you think of. You got it. Okay, you got it. I thought. I mean, I thought you had one. Oh no! I would. I would tell you if if it's true or not. Yeah, yeah. Just give us one one game that you feel like. You gave a really good suggestion here. You felt like you had a really good plan and the team executed very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, every time we we know that in a certain game, there are things that are huge, uh, that can help, hugely can help the team. But sometimes just doesn't happen because the game evolves so much. It's such difficult to, to understand what is going to happen even from the beginning. Um, I can feel that our job can be very effective on uh, set pieces because, okay, yeah. because they are, you know, really easy to understand when you, when, and also to prepare, it's easier because it's a static situation. So if you can prepare something that is easier, uh, but yeah, I mean, in my mind, I have, I mean, lots of, Nice moments where we had uh, an impact, and uh, yeah, that there there is a good feeling when you know you did something yeah. very well. But as a match analyst, uh, you always need to to be in the high standard for for the team. Yes, you yes. always need to have that kind of attention, and just be be ready to help the team. Yes, I I am curious though. Um, for obviously you played and won the first ever UEFA Conference League final. Um, I'm curious to know how the preparation and analysis for that game, uh, big final, to be able to win a trophy, how is that different from a normal uh, Serie A match? Uh, what's the preparation difference since it's such a huge occasion? Yeah, I mean, the, surely I think uh, our manager in this kind of situation is exceptional. Yeah. So I can tell you this right now. Uh, I don't want to exaggerate, but I really <laughs> had the feeling we, are, we were going to win because we had Mourinho with us. Mm. Wow. The, the moment just we go, impact. Yeah. The moment we go into the final, I get the feeling since the first day after we are going to win the game. And this kind of feeling, uh, I think the players had in mind as well. And that was fundamental. And Most definitely. Then the preparation goes, I mean, it's pretty similar to all the others. You just maybe uh, want to take more time uh, to, to analyze. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to the others. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that is in, in, the fi in finals, I think... Having moments of control of the game is fundamental. We had the first 15, 20 minutes when uh, Mikitarian was playing with us. He is such an impact to control the game, to control the rhythm that helped us a lot in 
giving us that kind of game since the start of the of, of the whistle. So, and then we also as a team we were prepared to defend low to mentally being able to, you know, be ready for that situation. And I think really the the manager in this case was fundamental in all the trip. Uh, such a huge impact. I, mm. I, I really feel that. And then comes down to the players because, I mean, they are going into the field. They, they need to feel they can win. It's all about the players' football. We are just around to, to make our best, to help, but they are football, right? Yes, yes. And is it different? Obviously, you played uh, Feyenoord in the final uh, team from the Dutch league. Is it harder to analyze a team that's not in um, Italy, not in the Serie A, when you're playing um, Conference League like this year? You're playing teams from all around Europe. Is it harder than to analyze the team, or is it mostly the same? Oh, yeah, this is very interesting, actually, um, because in Serie A, we, we know the team pretty well. So mm -hmm. we know the managers, even if uh, a manager is sucked and another one is coming in, we already know how he's going to play, more or less. So in Italy, it's more easier to prepare the games because we, we know pretty much what is going to happen. When you look to these teams uh, around Europe, it's nice because you can learn a lot from how they are structured, what, which are their dynamics. Uh, for me, Dutch football is really interesting. and. Uh, we have seen Vitesse also playing really a really good football. Uh, they were really a, a strong side. And even if they were playing same system as in Italy, many, many other teams like 3-5-2, but actually they were, um, you know, playing in a, in a different way, even if the system was the same. But the dynamics were different. So... Uh, I mean, it's so much to learn when you when you just look outside from the country. You know, you're you're working because you learn a lot. Of course, and it's, it's it's really fun. Also, I think mm -hmm. to to study. You know, for, mm -hmm. for these kind of games, it is super fun to compare football between different countries. Especially, I think the European top five leagues, as as most of the world would refer to, and then also the leagues that are very close behind, like we said, the Eredivisie. Even if you look at the Liga Nos or the Super League in, in Turkey. They're all in, super interesting to compare. One question that I had for you as, as someone who's coming from working as a, as a match analyst in Italy and being a fan of Italian football, I'm assuming your whole life, what do you feel like Italian football provides that other leagues don't quite give the same attention to or don't quite have? Is it the the style of defending? I know a lot of people have, have made Italian teams and Italian players out to yeah. be very good defenders. Is it the way that the teams press? You know, it, what do you feel like Italian football, specifically the Serie A, does really well in comparison to the Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, Ligue 1, Eredivisie, Liga Nos, etc., etc.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is lovely. Come on, football... <laughs> Speaking about that around the world and the difference is very nice. Yeah. Uh, my thesis of Laurea, uh, my my master, let's say, it was about the the comparison about uh, with the five top leagues. Yeah, uh, really? interesting. Really? That so was your that was I, your thesis for your master. That was my thesis for the master. So wow. I actually compared technical and tactical 
uh, insights plus physical insights. And wow, yeah, um, from the inside right now, I can tell Italian football in Serie A has improved a lot in terms of ideas, offensively speaking. Before the teams were more concerned uh, in defending, but now they are uh, all, always trying to find offensive solutions. Uh, rather than, le let's say, five or ten years ago, offensive, uh, let's say, the offensive mentality of a team has improved a lot in Italy, generally speaking. Um, defensively, the way the teams press in Italy is really maths, let's say, mathematic. Yeah. And sometimes you lose some energy or some rhythm. And this same rhythm they have in Bundesliga or in the Premier League. They are more intense, in my opinion. So you see a lot in Italy situation where the teams are studying uh, themselves and something is going to happen in a moment. While Premier League is more like... Uh, um, you know, two boxers fighting to, to each other. They are more, you know, um, trying to counterattack. While here in Italy, they are studying a lot themselves. And then something is going, is going to happen. Something is going to open the game. It's much more methodical. Yeah, more methodical, a lot. In Italy, yeah, that is crazy, the, the attention of, of that kind of details. Yeah, and Some, something that doesn't happen in in the other countries, but at the same time, in the other countries, they are more concerned into into rhythm, energy, into have that kind of thing that helps you a lot in you know being aggressive. In Italy, yeah. yes, it's more uh, yeah methodological. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and would you say what league would you say? players that play in the Serie A and then get a transfer to a different league. Um, in your opinion, what league is the easiest for a Serie A player to then adapt? Because, you know, one that comes to mind is Kulisevsky uh, coming from Juve. He then went to Tottenham and then played very well. He was under Antonio Conte, a Serie A manager, but also in the Premier League where a lot of, you know, big, yeah. big signings sometimes don't perform as much, but he did very well in the time he was there, what league would you say is a better transition from Syria than to a different league? There is also the reversal with Lukaku. Exactly, we, Lukaku. We can talk about that. Like, just why why players have those impacts or lack of impacts and mm. what you think makes those happen. Uh, I mean, speaking about these examples, uh, Lukaku, his style of game was perfect for Conte at Inter. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Against the defenders we have in Italy, physically speaking, there was no no fight. It it was like impossible for them to to counter Lukaku. Yeah. So that was the big thing in Italy. Um, Kuluzeski, I knew for sure he was going to do very well there, because he has a strong physicality. And um, as I was saying before, Premier League is more about spaces, rhythm. Uh, having that kind of energy and Kulusevski is perfect for the for the Premier League. Mm -hmm. um, I would say in general that um, any kind of player when it comes to Italy and he studies the game because the coaches want that kind uh, uh, of learning process from them, they can 
then go every, everywhere uh, knowing that they are better players mentally. Mm. They know b- much better tactically. The thing is, do they have the right energy? Do they have the strong physicality to cope with uh, England players, Premier League players, Bundesliga players? That is the thing, in my opinion. But tactically speaking, they are ready to go anywhere. anywhere. It's just about then the player. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. I know you said to us on a text before the podcast, and also we talked about this before we started the podcast, that you wanted to touch on the MLS a little bit. And I love that you wanted to touch on that because it's not often that Europeans look at the United States and want to talk about our soccer over here (laughs) or our football over here because usually it's the reversal. Usually we're looking across the pond and watching your guys' football. But especially with the likes of Chiellini and Insigne transferring this year or going to transfer this during this window, and then also Matuidi, who came from Juventus and went to Inter Miami a couple of years ago, there's definitely been a lot of movement and fluidity between the Serie A and the MLS. I mean, you could even look at someone who plays for Roma, Brian Reynolds, who came from the MLS and, and went over to Roma. So there is definitely a lot of movement between the two leagues. So how do you view, as an Italian, someone who works in the Serie A you know, as your primary profession and watches Serie A games as your primary profession, how do you view the MLS and the products it's producing and also the people that it might be attracting? I mean, um, I don't know if everybody in Italy thinks the way I do. Uh, But I think MLS is going to be, I wouldn't say a top league, like, uh, you know, the five top in in Europe, but I really believe it's going to grow up a lot. I am am pretty confident about it. And you're going to have, in four years' time, the World Cup coming on. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. pretty sure they're going to invest a uh, lot in lots in terms of, you know, structures already that they are unbelievable the uh, stadiums, in terms of yeah. resources. Uh, I, I mean, for me, the MLS um, is something that we all should see more in terms of even possibility to go abroad and learn or just to, to see how th- that kind of world is going on. Um, and also... American players are much better now compared to 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, Pulisic plays for for Chelsea, and mm-hmm. there are lots of other players that you know are really good, uh, really good ones. Uh, I was thinking now Buzio. Buzio has Buzio, come to Venezia, yep. mm-hmm. and uh, Buzio and Tanner Tessman are both at Weston McKenney. Exactly. McKenney, yeah. Reynolds. I was looking at Buzio because of scouting, so yeah. I had a look at him before, and really, I believed he could come to Italy to play. Mm. Technically, it was very strong. Here in Italy, maybe he's not, let's say, a top technical player, but it's a player that can can stay in the league um, easily. Um, So, um, really, I think the level in the MLS is growing up a lot, and also you have lots of people from Argentina, Brazil, uh, really skilled, really good. So, uh, physical players as well. I mean, yeah. Mm. And what's your? You said you were scouting and you looked at Buzio for a second. What's your experience with scouting young players in your career? I didn't. We, we didn't touch on that a little bit. I mean, uh, we do also scouting during the the season mm. when 
when the managers uh, wants to find a guy in a certain positions or they want to have some insights about a player uh, we are going to sign. So it can happen lots of times that the managers or somebody around the, the coaching staff ask us for a, uh, yeah, um, uh, a report on an, an assessment, yeah, or a report, yeah. Mm -hmm. We also have made through the years uh, some uh, technical and uh, analytics reports on that. So, um, yeah, I mean, the scouting is part of our job. It's not, let's say, the first one because there are also people inside the clubs that are already doing it. But sometimes managers rely on match analysts for that because they know them very well and they they want to know what they're thinking. Yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah. Pivoting from the MLS, because we many of our fans know that it's a growing league because they're from the United States, and, and that's definitely a fact. But it's not it's not the main reason why you have we have you on this call. We want to hear about the Italian league, the Serie A, and Roma. We would love to know who you feel like. Obviously, we've seen a picture of you on the party bus with Roma <laughs> after they won the Europa Conference League, and that must yes. have been an unbelievable experience. But who do you feel like parties or celebrates the hardest after a victory, whether that's just a victory in the Serie A or winning the entire Conference League? No, we are unbeatable on that. <laughs> we are unbeatable. You guys party the best. No, guys, I... <laughs> I never experienced something like that in my life, never. Really? Never. And and even in my, you know, uh, in if I, I would dream something, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been so so nice. I mean, uh, it was unbelievable to be on the bus with the guys. Um, wow, that there was guys, uh, something like one million people around the streets. Wow, yeah. that is crazy. We took, they were all waiting at you because of the contributions. We, we took, yeah. yeah, just at you. I, mean, I hope some girls uh, had seen me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. you should have held up a poster yeah. with your number yeah, or your Snapchat. And then yeah, people yeah, would have exactly. seen you. Exactly. Some of them uh, then called me, but you know. Oh, uh, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. No, the, the thing was amazing. And uh, we were celebrating a lot, yeah. I mean, uh, six hours for making... Uh, uh, seven kilometers. I mean, um, uh, guys, uh, something that I, I really can't explain with words because it was unbelievable. Mm. Well, if you can't explain it with words, you can just bring us next time. You can just bring us yeah, on the bus and then we could experience it next ourselves. season. <laughs> I mean, I, I will ask if they need someone, you know, to. to yeah, we could do interviews it. with the players. You know? <laughs> exactly. on, on the bus. <laughs> on the bus. Yeah. Is there a certain player within the Roma squad that you felt like was the craziest on the bus or uh, <laughs> let loose the most? Um, I mean, everybody was pretty excited, let's say. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard to tell which one was the best, but um, I see Tammy, for example, Tammy. has been an example. Has been an example also uh, um, through the season. Uh, he he really improved a lot during the season as well mm -hmm. as a player because he learned a lot tactically about uh, about the game. And uh, on the bus, you know, it was having his party with us, but also, you know, being, uh, yeah, uh, I say him like, as a, as the key player, even on the bus. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. <Yeah. laughs> 
That is, that is absolutely awesome. Are we ready to move on to the quick fire questions I th- now? I think so. With Cody, we did some quick fire questions. People who okay. watched last episode, you guys will know. Uh, so we're going to do them with you now. We have three. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? You can start and yeah. All right. So if, if you don't know, quick fire questions are just, we ask you, you answer as quick as you can. Um, okay. Oh, it, don't, don't put me in trouble, guys. Only, only, three, only three. Only three. <laughs> 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 we, yeah, we, we want. We want. Okay. The first one that I'm going to do is what is your favorite stadium you've ever been to? Oh, Olympico, I have to say. Come on. Olympico and San Siro. Okay. And, and San, San Siro. Siro. So of course. Of course. Yes. yes. Okay. Number two. What is your favorite jersey of all time? Jersey of all time. Uh, I, I am in love with, with shirts, guys. I really love shirts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, Boca Juniors. Boca, Boca Juniors, Juniors, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, but there's, I mean, such a lot, guys. Yeah. I am ha- a big fan of, of shirts of all over the world. Yeah. Have you seen the, I'm assuming you have, but the videos or the pictures of when the game happens between Boca Juniors and, and River Plath, the rivalry and how the fans go absolutely the, crazy down in Argentina. The Bombonera, the yeah. Bombonera is a place I want to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's yeah. on everyone's bucket list. It's crazy. Yeah. Although you probably have to be careful because I bet it's absolutely insane. I, I know, I know. Yeah. They are saying, actually, you know, the, the land is bouncing, you know? Yeah. Yes. They, they say so... the stadium goes up and down. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. It is. Do you have a uh, Boca Juniors shirt or do you have a shirt collection? Um, um, I see one back there. Yeah, I mean, the one there, it's uh, from Totti, but it's not the original Totti. one. It's just one that uh, was signed by him. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, interesting. Yeah, and then I have Zanetti on the mm. top because Zanetti was, the, was my idol as a player. So yeah. uh, it was really... An incredible person, even outside from the pitch, because as a player, we all knew them. We all know them, uh, know him, uh, but also an amazing uh, guy uh, outside the field. Yeah. Sweet. All right. The last quick fire question that we have okay. before we hit you with our closing questions, which are just something that we ask everyone, um, is what has been the hardest team to prepare for or analyze for? This could be it took the most amount of time or you felt like they were the hardest team to break down tactically, or maybe it was a team that you've never seen before because they came from a league that you don't really watch. What do you feel like okay. either was the hardest team or the hardest scenario? Okay, with Roma or Inter? Uh, either, just any, any. overall. Either. Um, uh, hmm. uh, I, I'm, I mean, this is the first that came to my mind. So I say Venezia, Venice. The first part of the season under uh, the coach Zanetti, okay. yeah, he was playing such a fluid football, really enjoyable, and they were doing pretty nice. Then they were relegated uh, at the end of the season because of the poor second start, second part of the season. But at the real beginning of the season, they were absolutely a strong team and really fluid on the pitch. I love them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's a really good answer. I mean. I can't imagine having to analyze and break down the tactics of all of the different teams that you would play, especially as a top club within a top league, because not only do you have to know all of the teams within your own domestic league, but you also, like you were saying with the Feyenoord game and other games outside of your league in the conference league, you have to find out how teams play in other leagues. It must be quite stressful, but it's also probably enjoyable because you get to watch football for a living. So you give some and you take some, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you love football, 
it's never let's say a real job yeah, no, yes. honest, i mean if i have to be honest for me it's not a job it's, it's a passion i have so yeah. sometimes you are tired of course but that's beautiful yeah but that's this it's the best thing you know for when you love football just study the games is wonderful probably the most important thing that we've realized as we've talked to different people on this podcast is finding a job that you feel like is a passion that you feel like doesn't feel like a job because then you can be the most successful because you want to work and you want to get better because it's just what you love to do so that is absolutely fantastic and I'm sure that there's many people listening to this podcast that want to aspire to be a similar in a similar position to what you are today. So hopefully during this podcast, they got something out of this that will help them try to sort of get there in their own life and in their own career path. Well, just we're going to do two more questions to close it out. The first one is going back to our mission statement. So I'll read it out to you just so you know. Our Not mission... quick anymore. No quick fire. No quick fire. Yeah, this good. is you can take your time on this one. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But um... I took I took my time even before. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So our mission is to create a community of passionate football fans who highlight the classy side of the game, keeping discussion positive, uplifting, and inspirational. I talked to you about this a little bit before the podcast, but as a podcast trying to create this positive and uplifting community. Community, what advice do you have for us or for any fans listening to help the footballing world become a better place? Obviously, you're so close to the team, to the players, to the manager, and so you probably see the impact that negativity amongst fans and the media uh, brings to the locker room or to, to the personalities on the team. So what advice do you have for the fans or people watching to try to improve the footballing world? Well, guys, football is about, uh, is about fun, is about love, is about sharing uh, incredible moments so uh i mean uh i i don't have a solution for that right now i mean uh, many things are in my mind even expressing them into another language it's kind of difficult i have so many things going on <laughs> totally understandable exactly but yeah, yeah. what i want to what i want to say yeah we 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 should have as a movement uh, i mean the media and everybody around football in general we should be um, less stressed uh, about it. I mean, uh, there is so much concern every time about even if a player is going for, for a walk or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Italy, uh, that kind of, uh, let's say, stress is, is incredible. Uh, the players can't move outside house that they, they have, you know, people following them. Um, it's just people playing football. They, they love what they do and... Even fans have to realize that they are part of football and they just should uh, enjoy uh, the game itself, every situation they go for. Um, I mean, it's not a place to, to fight or to, uh, to stress out, you know, the, the negativity they have during the, the other days of the week. I mean, we just should see football as something we love we want to share and we want to live in the in the best way so mm -hmm. um i don't know if something better will come to my mind but the feeling yeah, that is, was beautiful that's a beautiful answer just, yeah i mean just we should enjoy this beautiful game uh, yeah. there's nothing like it in my opinion so and it, it's such nice when you go around the world you know all this for example uh, now the teams have players from Africa, from any 
part of the world and the players among them are, are such, uh, you know, unite. That's, yeah. that's the best thing. There is no racism. There is no other thing. No space for violence or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we should all act uh, the same way. I mean, just be caring to, to one another. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really like that even in real life. Yeah. I'm not fighting anyone. I just want to... Everybody should uh, should love what they do. Enjoy the moment. We that use football as something nice. Come on. Yes, yes, That's yes. Awesome. And then finally, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but to give us one answer, why do we play football? The, okay, this is nice. For me, the magic starts as soon as you touch the ball. Mm. When you are three or four years old, I don't know. The first time you touch the ball, the magic happens. So... If a parent will give uh, a ball to, to a baby, uh, man or woman, whatever, is going to love the game. Because the first thing is kicking the ball. It's on the ground. It's already there. Start to play. Yeah. So. Yep. It's there from your youth and it stays with you for most people all the way until they're very, very old. Whether that's playing the game, watching the game, cheering for their team, the passion always stays. And it's so beautiful what football can do to an individual or a community. Thank you so much, Alessandro, for coming on to our podcast. We really enjoyed getting to hear about you, getting to hear about your profession as a match analyst for all these top clubs around Italy, whether that's Roma or Inter, working for some of the best managers in the world, whether that's Jose Mourinho or Antonio Conte, and, and just all the achievements that you've been a part of throughout your career. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And hearing from you about what you think about whether it's the MLS or Italian football or other leagues, it was just great to, to have you on the podcast and to get to talk with you. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if, if you ever have any more stories to share with us, feel free to reach out to us. We can have you on the podcast again sometime. Uh, but okay. until then, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And that was our interview with Alessandro Davite. Thank you, everyone, for listening.